Hi, anyone who is a listener to Good Explanations. I have uh, been off the map there because I have been working a new job at a new company and I was producing a different podcast called Super Psychedelic. Um, So this is just the intro to a few podcasts that I had as I started making that transition that have just been sitting in my queue. They were uh, incredible, too, with really powerful AAPI individuals, which let me fact check, fact check myself. I believe that is Asian American and Pacific Islander. So one of them's name is Jessica. She's She worked in politics for a while um, with the Biden campaign. The other one is Gauki, and she is wonderful. She works in mental health. She's written a book. Um, and she had a lot of great things to say. And then the last person is Mary Marshall. She is the manager and a teacher at Yoga 6 in Milwaukee, and that was a very fun conversation. So these will be raw episodes. Um, I just want to put them out there. So yeah, I hope I hope you enjoy it. Um, and maybe we'll be seeing some type of audio creation from me coming soon. So please enjoy these episodes of Good Explanation. And as always, I hope that you are your own reason to smile today. On this episode of Good Explanations, I am joined by Gauki Vang. And similar to the last guest, I was introduced to you thanks to my sister, um, because you guys are a part of the AAPI Coalition. And just want to take a moment to thank my sister, who has been one of my biggest supporters and someone who's always pushing me and also connecting me to awesome guests such as yourself. So thank you for choosing to be on the show and have a conversation with me. Thank you so much for choosing me. I am so grateful to be in space with you today and I'm really looking forward to what the night brings. So to start, let's um, begin with you sharing what you're currently doing as a professional in the mental health space. Yeah, so right now I hold the position of the assistant director of a peer-run mental health respite called Iris Place, located in Appleton. Um, so in this role, I my job is to support my staff, support the guests and the callers that we have, as well as my director. Um, I'm kind of like a house manager as well, so I make sure the house is running, um, that any like mechanical things that's kind of falling apart, I take care of. Um, so I really kind of get the best of both worlds because I, I have to do some like administration stuff, but I also get that interaction with guests and callers and staff that really keeps me grounded and keeps me, you know, um, fired up for this field because that's, you know, the human connection is what keeps me just loving where I am. Hmm. And 
why did you decide to work in uh, or work with mental health? So, you know, as early as I could think back, I've just kind of always wanted to help others. Um, and I remember this from high school. I actually went to my under, did my undergrad as a psych major because at the time I was like, I want to be a therapist or a counselor um, and just really be in space with people because my motivation at the time was like, I want to help others. Um, but as I got older, I realized I, I wanted to be with others, not just help others. Um, because I, re I noticed that as much as people were learning from me or I was supporting them, I also was learning from them. And I also found that the way that they, that I supported them, they would like mutually come back and support me. Um, and so I really saw that connection and my mind kind of shifted to not helping, to not just helping others, but being with others. Um, so that being said, I, I really got into this work because I wanted to help others, but then they leaned towards more, I want to be with others. So I guess to kind of dig a little bit deeper about that, um, I actually, so I went to undergrad, got my psych major, and then I went to graduate school. And with graduate school, I got into a clinical psychology program because I was still on track to um, become a therapist. But halfway through that program, I was like, I thought I was getting like cold feet because we were going to have our um, practicum and our internship soon. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is getting really real. Like maybe I'm really scared. Um, but I sat in it for a couple months. I sat in this feeling of like unsure and like unsettling feeling. I was like, I thought it was cold feet. Um, so I thought it would go away, but I continued on another semester of classes and I realized it never went away. And I realized it was because the person that I am at that point was no longer the person that I was in high school which I was still moving in a direction that I was taking from high school. Um, and so I realized I needed to start my start making the actions that really reflect the person that I am today. So I loved my clinical psychology program because I felt like my purpose and what I wanted to do was no longer a therapist in a room with just one individual. And I really value and really appreciate the work of therapists and counselors um, because their work is so critical and so needed, especially today. However, it just wasn't for me anymore. But yet, even then, I still want to bring the mental health aspect with me, you know, because I was so passionate about it. That was where my fire was um, and still is. So eventually then I, I kind of left clinical psych and I went into social psychology um, and social psychology really gave me more of the flexibility to um, incorporate and um, really just be more engaging and more understanding and doing more research about how people's backgrounds, how people's experiences impact how they perceive the world. Um, and that coming from a Hmong woman lens 
I wanted that because I wanted the flexibility to have the intersectional lens of my experience be a part of what I wanted to become and be. Um, so that being said, I finished with social psychology um, and I'm still in the mental health field, but I was able to do it in the way that I felt was right for me, not in a way that traditionally people would do when they wanted to be in the mental health field. So yeah, that's why I do this work because my heart is in it, even if it's not exactly the path that I wanted it to be or I imagined it before. Mm -hmm. um, and you said something in there where you, it sounds like you, from the outside looking in, like you said, you wanted to be um, like in a therapist, but then you decided you wanted to really be with people. So it's like you from you took a step into that space and said, I wanna be really in this community. I wanna be involved with this person. Um, do you feel like there were experiences or relationships between that um, end of high school and um, collegiate experience that you had that helped you learn that for yourself, like with friends or within the classroom setting that allowed you to see, I want to be a little bit closer to these people? Yeah, I, it actually happened between my undergrad and graduate school. Um, and it wasn't so much relationship with others, it was the relationship with myself um, that really impacted the role, like where I am today. Um, so a little bit more clarity, to provide a little more clarity about that, I, um, the reason why I switched exactly to social psych was, um, I realized I kind of missed this part, but it was because I felt like the program that I was in, as well as just in general, it, it had one multicultural course. And that really struck me because I sat there and I was like, how am I supposed to reach communities? Especially for me specifically, the Hmong community, how am I supposed to reach them if I don't have the courses that will allow me to like, better understand how I can be a resource to my own community or communities of color. Um, and I just really saw the, that it was, there was very fine lines and very small areas that I can really incorporate my experience as a Hmong individual to use as a clinician. Um, and that's not to say that like once I completed my, once I would have completed my clinical psych program, I would have been able to like put my own twist to it. But at the time, I just felt so restricted. I felt like what I need to do was bigger than, than um, the clinical psych program that I was in because I felt like, how am I supposed to reach my community when my com as a therapist when my community doesn't know about therapy or my community is yet to understand how therapy can, can help them heal. Um, and so it was much bigger than just being a therapist. It was, how do I lead my community? And how do I help my community and guide them in a way to find resources for themselves? Um, but I couldn't do that as a therapist, I felt like. When you felt restricted, because you mentioned leaning on yourself for 
guidance and support. Um, what, what were those conversations like, or what, what questions were you asking yourself to try and loosen that grip that you felt? And that could have been from yourself or from, like you said, expectations you had from the past. Mm. I was a people pleaser. Mm. Um, and as a people pleaser, I always would bend over backwards for everyone that I cared about. And I still do. However, this time around, I take into consideration my mental health. Whereas in the past, I, I did it in a way that would break me, such that like, even when I didn't have the mental capacity to be with the person, I would force myself to be in that space. And then um, I wouldn't even be able to like fully be attentive or like wouldn't even feel like I could provide what I, I should provide as a friend or as a family member. But I was there and I know that that is what counts. But for me personally, I also realized I was really pushing myself thin. And when you feel like you've been pushing yourself thin, I, I then become, I, I start to feel bitter not about the people around me, but like just in general, I would get more irritated quicker. I would get more frustrated with people, even when I knew that this, this is something I wouldn't get as frustrated with. Um, and quite frankly, I was kind of just like burning out. We had a little technical difficulty, um, but we are going to move to your relationship to writing because as you mentioned, when you might've needed support or guidance, you really started to write, which helped reframe um, how you thought about the position you had been in to transition from being or doing more therapeutic work to stepping into providing resources and bringing these things to the community and to the people that you felt it mattered to. So, what has the role of writing been like in your life? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, the role writing really has been is my friend. Writing has been my friend. Um, it's really the space I get to kind of just be and to write whatever comes to mind. Um, and what I love about it the most is that I can read it back to myself and say that this person understands exactly what I'm talking about because it's me. And it sounds so weird and so like ridiculous as I'm saying it out loud. But honestly, I think it really just speaks to the fact that a lot of times in our lives, we kind of seek answers from everyone. Like we want answers from people that we admire. We want answers from this from that for this for that but at the end of the day you really give yourself the answers like you are the one that decides what is it that you want you are the one that knows what makes you happy you know what hurts you you know where all the roots of your pain is um but you won't know that until you write it down and read it back to yourself and so that being said writing has been a really critical part of my life that allowed me to come back to who I want to be. 
and recently I haven't been writing as much as I would like to because my current um, position is takes a lot of my emotions and and uh, mental capacity as well as the other things that I am working on takes a lot of my energy so at the end of the day when I come home I'm just like I'm headed to bed <laughs> um, but when I do um, have like a good thought in my head or have something that's really weighing on me I will like take out my phone and just like type it into my notes or if I have my notebook next to me and a pen, I'll just like pen it down. And, you know, and the whole purpose of me writing or typing isn't really to like publicize all the time. It's just more of like, I wanna put it down. And then when I'm ready, I will publicize it just like via social media when I want to. Um, mm. I feel like it's the right time. Um. That's beautiful because I think that's how I try and write as well, where it's for an audience of one. It's so I can see myself. I can see what's going on within my mind, these troubles I'm facing, or even um, how I'm enjoying life. I think yeah. it's important to write uh, for me, regardless of the state I'm in, because it, like you said, when we look back at it, we get to say, you know, I really connect with this or if we're in a troubled time to go back and see what was I doing when I felt like life was right like I was moving in the right direction what were the habits what was I thinking about what was I appreciative for what how was I pushing myself then where I feel like I might not be pushing myself now and I also completely agree with you in that when we write we get to ask ourselves questions and we're the ones that are looking for the answers or trying to listen to the answers that might come up when we ask the questions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because I believe um, we are our own best therapists. So we, we should we should be listening to ourselves. I remember before one of my good friends in yoga moved to Colorado, um, I was in a challenged space and I was writing and thinking while I was kind of operating from uh, more of a darker position that no one outside of me is going to have the answers I'm looking for. Like, I know that I need to continue diving deeper into myself. I need to continue asking questions and I need to keep doing the small things that allow me to feel like I'm removing myself from the quicksand. And to just ingrain that when we're challenged, yes, support is important. And yes, guidance is appreciated and people can share with us things that we might think, but when it comes from someone else, it might hit us differently. But at the end of the day, we're the ones that know when you know we've moved towards an answer that feels right. And now we can start to begin life again, just with a slightly different lens. So I, I everything you said about writing, um, I loved because that's, that's what I'm thinking about as I'm writing in that it's just important that we put pen to paper and our mind gets lighter when we get these thoughts out of our head. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you said we are our best, own best therapist because what I used to say and what I still say is a little bit similar to that. I always say you are your own best friend, mm. um, you know, and a lot of times like people do say like, I wish I was my own best friend. It's like, write it down, like mm. write down what you want to say to yourself or write down what you would need someone to say to you and you be that person. Um, but 
in order to reach that level of you or like that spiritual that level of spirituality of knowing that you can be your own best friend you also have to be surrounded by the right people that can lead you to that um and so but i mean they both can coexist together or they both can come at different times Mm -hmm. it's like um that's what i was saying to jess too we talked about relationships and it's that you are the average of those you surround yourself with so if you want to be you know working on yourself and Something I've been thinking a lot about is the importance of meeting ourselves where we're at mm-hmm. and also understanding that we want to grow, we want to change, and we want to evolve. So it's important that, you know, if that's the space we want to be in, try and cultivate relationships with people you feel are doing that or that seem joyous even in their work or in their in their personal life. And just by being around those people, you'll start to cultivate their habits because um, we imitate each other and we mirror things. So it, it's important to recognize how you act and how you respond when you're with people. And then something I ask myself is, is this in alignment with how I want to carry myself? Mm-hmm. After the fact, am I questioning things I said or um, how I reacted reacted to certain things? Is there conflict and tension between myself? Because whatever I was sh- sharing didn't feel true. So like you're, like you said, we can start to just choose to ask ourselves these questions. Like, I want to be my own best friend. What what does support look like to me? And I think people might be surprised at the things they say to themselves when they start asking honest but gentle questions in order to to meet themselves wherever they're at. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with everything you said. And I love everything that you said. I'd even like, um, I just had a thought in my head. I totally forgot it. Um, Because I was so like encapsulated by like what you were saying. I was like, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, But you know, at the end of the day, the point is that we write for ourselves. We're there for ourselves. We heal ourselves. Um, And that's in our power. Um, oh, I remember what I was going to say now. Um, there was a there was a quote that I saw not that long ago about you can only meet people as deep as they have met themselves. And that really hit me because I was like, that's so true. Um, and that's the part that I realized um, I need to be around people who share the same values as I do. And like you said, aligns with you. Um, Because at the end of the day, I want to be proud of the people I'm around. I want to be happy. I want to know that I know who these people are. I don't have to question their morals or their values. I don't have to question who they are. I just know and I'm comfortable with that. Um, And I'm okay with that. So that really, that quote really hit me because sometimes you really try hard to connect with people and it just doesn't work and that's okay. And it's, it's because maybe they just haven't met themselves to the level that you have met yourself or you haven't met them at the level that they have met themselves. You know, we're at different points in our lives and we have to connect with people that are at the same points mm. in their lives as we are. 
I've never heard that quote before, but wow, that is, that was pretty, pretty crazy. I, yeah, that was, wow, really hit into uh, kind of the core of me. Um, and then something you said, and if you um, don't want to go here, don't want to share that, I completely um, respect and understand that. You mentioned um, spirituality within writing and within, you know, these groups or these people, these close friends you might surround yourself with. So I was just wondering, what does spirituality look like to your life? Is it associated to writing? Is it more than just writing? Mm, spirituality comes down to more of my values um, and how I just feel about life and the world around me and the people around me. Honestly, if I'm going to be very transparent, I'm still kind of in the um, in the realm of exploring spirituality and religion even um and right now i'm really searching and understanding what spirituality is um and i'm really coming to that spirituality is what is it that grounds me and it is social justice organizing that grounds me because that work makes me feel like I can heal in community. Um, work in regards to how can I advocate for mental health resources for underserved communities that feeds my spirituality because if it gives me purpose in life, it really allows my soul to kind of just feel like this is why I'm here. Um, and also with spirituality is just where have I met myself? Like, where am I at this point in my life? Um, who are the people am I surrounded by? Who are the people I want to be surrounded by? Because do they build me up or do they tear me down? Do they support me or do they feel like they're competitions with me? Um, you know, and that all really impacts and, um, influences how we feel about ourselves and how we ground ourselves and to me that's really attached to my spirituality mm. and i think that uh well good for you for kind of taking on that decision to connect to whatever that looks like to you i believe that it's uh very important and also deeply human to connect with something much bigger than ourselves that we don't necessarily understand, but we respect and appreciate its role in our lives and the uh, almost invisible forces or guidances that um, bring us or guide us to different opportunities or challenges or people. Um, and so, like similar to you, I'm still figuring that out for myself. And then to add something to you mentioned the soul and this is something that I heard once, um, and it was on a podcast called Field Tripping. And they were talking about how the soul is your deepest, your truest, or your best self. So it's, it's your ability to connect how to whoever or whatever you might be if like what you are in that space is in alignment with your, your morals and your ethics and your values, and you're really striving towards whatever best looks like and feels like to you. And I think to your point, 
the more that we can step into that space where, you know, what, what would my best self do in this moment? Then we can move towards a connection with something that's bigger than us, but it also feels so much like us. And I think that that's a, that's an important practice that I found in my life at least. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for saying that because, um, you know, and like before I mentioned like my purpose in life, like I felt like my purpose is to be an advocate. My purpose is to be an organizer. Uh, My purpose is to really try and pave paths where we can create easier access to mental health resources for specifically the Hmong community. And now that you mentioned that, like feeling like there's a higher power over me, my that higher power has been my ancestors. Mm. Um, every time I do something or I kind of feel torn or I feel like, gosh, this is way too hard for me to do. I literally think about my ancestors. Um, because, you know, the Hmong people have been in the U.S. for 46 years now. Um, the average life, the average American lifespan is 77 years old, is 77. So the Hmong people haven't even been here for a whole lifetime. And because of that, I am the daughter of refugees. My grandparents were refugees. Um, and all those before me are my ancestors and their resilience is what brought me here today. And everywhere I go in this life, it is thanks to them. It is my ancestors, my parents, my grandparents that keep me going and they really feed my spirituality in that they push me to keep doing more, to keep doing better to know my own value, to know who I am as a Hmong individual. Um, so yeah, I guess when we talk about like a higher being or a higher power over us, it's it always goes back to my ancestors because I believe that wherever we go in this life, we must give credit to those who allowed us or who who pushed us to be here today, who has given us the opportunity to be here today. Um. That might be one of my favorite parts of growing up in um, an Asian household with my um, dad being Filipino and that something I've also seen within um, Asian culture is that the deep respect and love for our elders and just appreciating the, the fact that we might get to share space with them when we're young and not necessarily putting them on a pedestal, but just having a very true and honest um, appreciation for, like you said, the things that they have done and kind of the path that they began to pave in order for us to now walk our own path, thanks to all that work and all that drive and all the resilience that they had to move through in order to um, set us up. I remember thinking once in college when I was really struggling um, with a couple of things, I connected to how my dad must have felt in college. And I was like, if he can do this, English as a second language, setting, creating uh, a happy family and you know, living the American dream, then I can do this. And just that, that ability to kind of step out of myself 
but also connect to um, an ancestor that happens to me and my dad, it, that drive is something that I still think about and um, really appreciate. So being Hmong and being so fresh in America, wh what challenges has that presented you with or you know how have you um tried to keep an honest relationship with the resilience that you move through or the uncertainty that comes with being so new yeah um you know my biggest challenge growing up as a Hmong american was being Hmong american um it was it was so conflicting. I always felt like I had to choose if I was going to be Hmong or if I was going to be American. And the thing though, was that I equated American with being white. And that was really, really tough for me because I mean, I grew up in a predominantly white community. And you know, when you grow up in a space like that, you kind of other yourself and other people other you. And that gets really hard to grow up in. You know, at the time I was oblivious to it because I was like, um, oh yeah, like I'm just hanging out with people that didn't look like me, which is fine. But it inadvertently also told me that I did not matter because even when I went to school, there was no one who really looked like me. Um, the books that we read, no one looked like me. The movies that we watched, no one looked like me. Um, and that was hard, but I didn't realize how hard it was until I left high school. And I was like, wow, my whole life, I felt so unseen. And the experiences that I had, that I had as an Asian individual was, honestly, I could never even talk about it because I just, I thought it was taboo to talk about it with my friends because how would they understand? Um, they weren't Asian, they weren't Hmong. Um, I know for a long time, I would not want my friends over, um, mm -hmm. not because I didn't want them to be there, but because I was afraid that they would kind of like question why we do the things that we do or like why we eat rice all the time or, why do I live in a multi-generational home? Um, you know, cause the cultures themselves are different. And I wasn't ready to kind of, I didn't even accept that part of me yet. I didn't even accept my Hmong identity. So how could I bring my friends around to accept that part of me? Um, so growing up, my biggest challenge was accepting my Hmong identity. I walked so far away from being Hmong. I did not want to be Hmong. I did not even associate myself with being Hmong. Um, but it was because I was hurting a lot because I was never really given the space to even value myself and love myself. Um, and so when you grow up in a space where there was nowhere to really look for love um, and acceptance, you kind of just keep going. And it, it wasn't until college that I realized 
I, I'm a woman studies minor, woman and gender studies minor. It wasn't until then that I realized like, wow, I have a voice. <laughs> um, my professors were so, so wonderful. I owe it to my professors at UW-Eau Claire in the women's studies department. I owe it to them because it was in those courses that I realized who I was and who I can be and that my voice is valuable. My voice is powerful. My experience is worthy of sharing. Um, and I was able to read other people's stories that really resonated with me. And I was like, wow, I'm not alone. I'm not like the freak that like <laughs> is just like freaking out about my friends coming over. I'm like, wow, it wasn't just me. Um, and it just, it makes you feel less lonely. It makes you realize that I, it made me realize that it wasn't just me and it was a whole system that mm. has made me feel the way I feel, um, had pushed me to feel as lonely as I did. Um, and I came back though. I came back to my Hmong identity and I love that part of me even more than I think I ever could have when I was younger. And I always say to younger folks that they're gonna wanna walk away from being Hmong. They're going to wanna not be associated with being Hmong. But as they get older, they'll come back. They'll come back because they'll be reminded that this is who they are. And mm -hmm. no one can ever take that away from them. What was it about those professors or mentors during your time at college that really helped you find your voice? Uh, that's where I really wrote. <laughs> like mm. in college, you have to write a lot, you know, but and in high school, you wrote too. But, you know, the thing about writing is that it's like they want you to be creative, but you also have to fit in this box right mm -hmm. like they have rules they have things five paragraphs three bodies one one intro one uh conclusion and what we're talking about like i think i wrote a paper once on cauliflower um for my <laughs> science course i had to take a lab course um for science and science is not not my forte <laughs> but i had to do it um so i had to write a paper on cauliflower but that being said, I um, it was the papers that I, I wrote in there where my professors were just like, right, right where your mind takes you. Like there are guidelines, but they aren't like rules that you have to follow. Like as long as you can somehow circle back that and like touch on these points or like like kind of just like discuss this a little bit as long as you do that, then you're okay. And when I had that flexibility to kind of just write, and then I gave my paper to one of my professor, her name was Audrey, and I'll remember her name forever. Um, she was like my mother in college. <laughs> um, and I just, I, I love her so much because she, help me 
find the power in my voice because when I handed her that power, that power, when I handed her that paper, um, she like looked at me and she goes, you are a really great writer. And I was like, no, I'm not. Like, I never saw myself as a writer. I hated reading. I hated writing. I was like, I don't like any of those things. But she like straight up was like, you are a really great writer. And then she asked me, have you ever thought of public speaking? And I was like, no, I was like, I would never intentionally put myself in a, in front of people and just talk to them. Um, but she goes, you should really consider it because you write like a public speaker and you write very poignantly and very gracefully um, and emotionally, but in a very mature emotional way. And that was when it really hit me where I, I hated writing growing up, but that was because I was trying to fit into something. I was always just trying to fit into a structure, into what people wanted me to be, what I should look like, what I should not look like. Um, and then when I was in a space where I didn't have to fit in it, I just had to be myself. That was when I was like, holy crap, like, mm. that is powerful. Um, and that, that also, like, now that I'm saying that out loud, that also comes back down to, like, you have your answers. You know what you need to do. You know who you are. It's just a matter of finding the path that can lead you to who you want to be. Because you're already there. It's just you figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Um, right where the mind takes you. I think that was, wow. I'm not, I was just like, that's so beautifully said. Because it's like you let go of whatever you're writing um, that need for it to look like something or to sound like something and you just you just let it wander and you just follow it and you don't necessarily think you just write um I love that so what what were you doing that transformed your writing um to have this sense of maturity and your ability to share emotions because when we were uh off air you mentioned how you decided to take writing more seriously in graduate school so like what 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 did that look like for you um I, i'm not sure if i don't think it's that i didn't take writing seriously before it was more of like I didn't think too much of writing in that I was collecting. It was just, I just wrote. Like if I had a notebook and I had a pen and it was next to my bed, I would just write and I'd leave it there. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, if I had another thought or I had something really weighing on my chest, I'd write it down and then I'd leave it there. Um, but with graduate school, like I mentioned earlier, how I was really conflicted with like leaving the clinical psych program or staying that was when my emotions were just like at a peak where I was like, I don't know how to like handle any of it because I had so many of them. And I was like, I don't know. Like it was so emotionally draining just to make that one decision. Like you wouldn't think it would take that much energy, but it definitely does. Because this is like my future. I'm talking about that everyone is constantly like, what do you want to do for your life? Um, and you know, that's such a loaded question too. <laughs> um, 
but you know but that pressure and like just feeling that I was like I don't know like am I making the wrong decision am I making a right decision like etc etc so I was just filled with a lot of emotions with no no exit for it except my hands and Mm. so um and a piece of paper and a pen so that was when I started to write more consistently rather than just sporadically um and it was again like I said before it was my space to heal it was my space to just really express myself and just really allow myself to let go without feeling restricted without feeling like I had to fit into something or I had to do something for someone else it was for myself um and so when I realized how liberating that was I kept writing um but that liberation comes from the fact that I also read what I wrote um it was a relief to write it down, but it was liberating to read it back. Hmm. Um, So yeah. That's interesting because I rarely read back what I wrote. Like I I usually create time, like a year or a certain amount of months until I'm like, okay, I should like, I feel like I can go back and read my stuff. Um, So that's something different that I'll think about. The other thing that, you from the first time we talked um, on the phone before the podcast was that you were saying how when you were writing you were you started to say you know I think other people might be able to benefit from from what I'm saying for myself Mm -hmm. for how I'm supporting myself and that's what I loved in that you said it it moved from it being sporadic to it being consistent so instead of just randomly writing I love that you said it was like a collection and that's what I just was thinking about uh, as I look at my own journal is that you know, since I had that conversation with you, I think about that, like, what are the patterns? What am I, what am I, what do I find myself continuing to write? And is this something that for my family might benefit from if I were to share this? Like, how can this move from being random to being like a collection? And you know, what's the pattern? So you've given me many things that have really redefined how I think about uh, writing. So I wonder, I wonder when the soonest will be when I uh, read my stuff back. Um, so to move into your decision to write your book, mm-hmm. um, Building Walls to Break Down, I wanted to start with your cover art because it's beautiful. And I'm going to do my best to describe it for the people that are listening. Um, so to me, it looks like an anatomic representation of a human heart. And then I had to Google this part, uh, connected to the pulmonary artery. So I'm like, what is that? What part of the heart is that? (laughs) (laughs) And connected to that artery is what we typically would imagine uh, a sketch of a heart to look like. So it's like a Valentine's Day balloon or an an emoji. Um, The only thing that then continued to catch my eye was the fact that the... um, the second half of that heart doesn't actually connect, but it coils into itself, almost like we would think about a monkey tail. So can you talk about this picture and why you felt it represented your words in this book? Yeah, so 
first and foremost, um, it was done by a Hmong artist. Her name is Nu Vu. She is by far one of the most talented artists I know. Um, she has painted, sketched, draw, done murals for people. Um, she's just phenomenal. Um, and then second, that part that curls is actually a monk symbol. And it's called, um, I believe it's called a snail um, because it kind of curls mm. like a snail's shell. Um, so yeah, it's called a snail. And what I love about this art is that it is a heart, but it's a Hmong heart. And a lot of this book had to do with me loving my Hmong identity. Um, and so it's me putting my whole heart into my Hmong identity into this book. Mm. Uh, and she actually already had this piece of art before I even wrote my book. And I just saw that I was like, oh my gosh, like I want it. I want that on my book. Um, and so I asked her if I could put it on my cover, my cover. And you know, I'm going to be honest, I did, I made this book, or not made, but I put this book together like in my grad school. So it's been about maybe like three years now. Um, and at that time I was in a point in a mental state where I just, I like things simple. Like sometimes I would like find myself in like this space where I'm like, oh, I should have like put more effort into my book cover or whatever. But I always bring myself back that at that time in the space that I was, I wanted things simple because the pieces that I had in there were also simple, but very complex. So I try not to hold that against myself too much. <laughs> um, but the art piece was the biggest thing that I wanted on there. And that was the piece that really just tied the whole book together because it was representative of who I am, who I am really proud to be. Say a picture's worth a thousand words. So I think it did that justice. Um, so why why did you decide to write a book? You know, I really didn't decide. <laughs> I it, it was never a part of my agenda or my plan ever in my life. Um, but as I was writing more consistently, I was like, wow, I'm I have a lot of pieces right now. Like I wonder like what it would look like if I were to put it in a book. Um, and so I, I found, I was looking at publishers and I found some and I didn't really feel like any of them really represented the kind of artist I wanted to be, author I wanted to be. So I went ahead and did self-publishing. Um, and I did the self-publication and I was really happy with it because I realized it gave me a lot of control over my book as well. Um, and I think I shared this with you the other time, but I haven't shared it with a lot of people, but now I'm going to share it on the podcast. <laughs> um, I actually had a publisher then reach out to me to publish my book. Um, and I remember that moment because they left me a voicemail and I was like, oh my God, like they want to publish my book. And I was like, this is wild. Um, and I got really emotional about it because I was just like, this is crazy. Like 
in that moment, I felt so validated. Um, and I felt like, wow, like somebody sees me. And then I had to take a step back and remember that I was the one who validated myself. And the reason why I shared it was because I wanted to share it with my mom community first and then with everyone else, which is what I love too. But because this holds such a deep part of my Hmong identity, I wanted to bring it to my community first. And so I turned down the publishing because I also wanted to have control over my book and that if I wanted to give my book to people, I can. If I wanted to just keep my book within our AEPI communities or just in general, I can. Um, I, I got, I get control over it and no one gets to tell me how to disperse my book. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day too, my book is a really, really big part of me. Um, and I want that to still stay in my own hands. When, because when you write a book, your parts of you and your identities um, and your thoughts and ideas become public, which can mm -hmm. feel scary. So what were the challenges or the fears that you faced when you were going through um, that process of starting to share yourself? Oh, I was definitely... I definitely thought of people's criticisms. I was like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Like, um, and I sat in that for probably about a week. And then I had to get myself out of that because I was like, you know what? Here's the thing. Everything I wrote in this book is my life. It's my experience. Nobody can tell me that it's not my experience. Nobody can tell me that it's not how I felt because at the end of the day, that is what this is. And so if criticisms come, it's grammatical or it's logistical, um, but the content itself and the words that I use, those are my words that I chose to use. And that is really empowering for me to say because then for the first time I felt like I'm not gonna let people control how I felt about my life. Um, I get to share that. And a couple of months ago, I had on social media, I had a friend who posted a status and she talked about her mental health. And she also then shared that she would be continuing on sharing her mental health journey on social media because one of her friends shared with her that some people heal publicly so that others can heal privately. And that really just struck a chord in me because I think it named what I was feeling. It really put words to why I did what I did. Because I also write on social media. Um, I haven't in a while, but I did. Um, and people will be like, wow, you take a lot of time to like write things and like a lot of energy and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Um, but I do it because I know that sometimes it takes someone to heal publicly so that other can also feel heard um, because they're not ready to maybe share their voice or they're not ready to, to um, 
or they're just not someone who wants to publicly share their experience. But I am at a point where I'm okay with sharing my experience in public if it means that other people can heal privately because of it. And also tying that to what you said about being the judge of your own work and not giving that power to someone else. I think that's really important because no, like you said, no one can tell us like how we feel. No one can tell us the experiences we've had. No one can define our work for ourselves unless we allow them to. Um, so I just think that that's really important that we try and keep that power within ourselves because we're the ones that really live with ourselves and we determine our values we're the ones that build up our own self-esteem, not anybody else. So just building that relationship of um, honesty is, I think, really, really important. Um, so of the passages and the poems that you wrote, which are currently resonating with you? Yeah, so I actually went to go look at my book for this because <laughs> um, I actually um, haven't really gone through my book in a while. Um, but I would like to read this one if that is okay. Mm -hmm. Please do. So this one is on page 115. And it goes a little like this, and I'll explain why it's really meaningful to me today. Um, but I'm sorry the world has not been kind. Thank you for being patient. I'm sorry the world has deprived you of hope. Thank you for being so forgiving. I'm sorry the world has deserted you. Thank you for holding on. I want you to walk with your head held high, unapologetically, because despite the world falling apart around you, it is still yours. And I'm not sure if you've been able to watch the news lately about Afghanistan um, and the Afghan Afghani refugees. So their story is very reflective of the Hmong people's story. Um, and right now, I know my community is really, really hurting because it's kind of like this historical trauma resurfacing. And it's a kind of trauma that we have yet to even heal from because we don't have resources for us to heal from. And so, that being in the news has really hurt my people and it's obviously hurting the refugees right now. Um, <clears throat> and it just reminds me that even when the world has failed us or the world has kind of tried to dismiss us, throw us under the rug, et cetera, et cetera, it is our resilience that allows us to rise and at the end of the day, we still have some power to keep going because of that resilience. And so at the end where it says, even when the world is falling apart, the world is still ours. Um, I really hold that close to me because right now the world has been feeling like it's been falling apart for the past like year and a half. Um, in this past year, I'm pretty sure has started me in an emotional roller coaster as high as the freaking sky and as low as, I don't know, the core of the earth. And it's so hard because I'm pretty sure this has been the most emotionally and mentally challenging 
year of my life. Um, and it felt like a lot of things were falling apart around me, but at the end of the day, I also got through it. At the end of the day, there were things that I could not control but impacted me, yet I'm still standing. And a lot of times we hear like, I'm sorry I did that, or I'm sorry I did this, when sometimes we can replace that with, thank you for loving me. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for still standing here. Um, so yeah, that piece really resonates with me today and is a part of me that I carry because of the roots that I come from. That was a beautiful passage. and. Uh... I look forward to uh, diving into the rest of your book because those are some of my favorite books to read. Um, so what message do you hope to leave uh, your readers with? What do they hope, what do you hope they take away for themselves? That their voice is powerful. That even if they are their only audience, as long as you get to put your words down, you, can validate yourself in that no one else needs to validate who you are no one else needs to validate your experience but know that at the end of the day you're not walking it alone um and to write it down when you're ready and then to read it back because that power comes back to you when you're able to name everything that you feel so your voice is powerful and as we draw to a close, I have some ending questions for you. Um, the first is, how do you go about listening to yourself? Um, I will be honest with you. I actually talked about um, this with someone today, about how I need to be better at listening to my body. Mm -hmm. um, Cause you know, like emotionally, mentally, I've been a lot better at like, okay, here are my boundaries. I can't cross these for my own mental well-being, et cetera, et cetera. But physically, I like will like be running around doing this, doing that, like, oh, like and then like overcommit myself to doing a project. And it's not that I can't do it, but it's like, am I is it healthy for me to be doing all of this this much? Like, am I listening to my body physically saying that like, hey, like chill out or like settle down? Um, so it's interesting because I feel like I'm better at emotionally, mentally um, setting my boundaries, but physically my body, I still feel like I'm running around. Um, and so I'm trying to listen to my body a little bit more. But as for listening to myself, I, I'm, I've come a long ways with trusting my gut um, and going with my instinct and standing my ground and holding my values. And a lot of my standing my ground and knowing who I am really does come back to my values. And so I really invest in time on really kind of pinpointing and developing what my values are because it all comes back to my values. The friends that I have, 
they connect with me because of my values. The work that I do is because I share my values with that. The person that I am is because of my values and what is important to me. Yeah, and that's um, something you, you kind of talked to earlier in that creating space for yourself and putting yourself first because you mentioned um, how you were a people pleaser and you would bend over backwards for people. But then when you were constantly in that space, constantly on, you were there, but a part of you also wasn't there because you were facing fatigue or burnout, which is like, I need, I need to recharge for myself so that I can bring my best self to the table instead of uh, stepping into this space and being like, okay, like, here we go again, I can do this. Um, but if, if you create a, a little bit more space, like you said, listen, listen to your body, listen to your gut, to your intuition, when it's saying, I, I need a break, like I need to rest, then the next time that you have the opportunity to step into a space to be with someone or to be with yourself, then you have a little bit more energy, you've, you've kind of taken a step back, so that when you step back into the game, you're, um, you're just more energized player. You just, you have more energy to give and to share. So I think that that's a really, um, I appreciate your honesty in that, in that answer. So the next question I have for you is what are you proudest of? <laughs> I feel like the, the Asian in me is like, you can do better. You can do more. <laughs> you need to accomplish more. Blah 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 blah. Um, that's just a joke, but <laughs> it is also something how I feel. Um, because you know, when again, I've always been taught to like strive to be great, but not like better than others. Like strive to be good enough for yourself. Um, and because everything that I've hit were kind of more expectations, they almost didn't feel like accomplishments. Like graduating high school was an expectation. So it didn't feel like an accomplishment. Graduating college was an expectation. So it didn't feel like an accomplishment. Um, but when it happened, people would remind me like, you need to be proud of yourself. Like this took a lot of you. Like you took the time and you were able to get through this and you did well. Um, so I needed people to ground me in that because I always just felt like this is expected of me. So it's really not an accomplishment. Mm. So I laughed at that because I'm thinking, what am I proudest of? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> what have I accomplished lately that I'm proud of? Um, but lately I am proudest of the fact that I am less afraid to use my voice. I am less afraid to ruffle feathers. I am less afraid to stand my ground around people that I know will probably dismiss me or will probably not take me seriously as a Hmong woman, as an Asian woman. Um, but I, I still, I still come with a kind of fierceness that allows me to know that I did everything that I could. And so that is probably the proudest thing I am because if you caught me five years ago, four years ago, I would not have said that. Um, 
I would be like, okay, I will be submissive. I will be, like, I will listen. I will be um, kind, nice. And I, I still like to believe I am, I always strive to kill them with kindness, um, especially with people who, like, undermine me or, or just try to, like, manipulate me or hurt me or whatever. But at the end of the day, we're all humans. And... Sometimes the way people treat you is a reflection of how they feel about themselves. And, but you have to kind of know how to pinpoint that. And so when I kind of pinpoint that, I decide how I want to approach things. Um, but I know who I am. So I know what I stand for. And because I know what I stand for, I'm really proud when I use my voice for the things that I believe is right. Mm. Yeah, like you said, it's, is this for me? Like, is what they're sharing, like, can I grow from this? Or does this feel like, kind of like toxic or kind of almost like they might be um, projecting something that is more, that more comes from them. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's, it's important to try and create that distinction between mm -hmm. um, getting feedback or getting criticism. So yeah. Um, the next question I have for you is, what is a tough lesson or challenge you wish not to repeat that taught you something valuable, beneficial, or transformative? Oh, that's a good question. Um, a tough lesson that I learned is hmm. So just recently, I had to make a really tough decision at work. And I will probably not disclose the information or the details. But the reason why it got to the point that it did was because I looked at the good in people um, for too long. Um, that it completely dismissed all the things that they did that was not okay. Um, and I don't know if I can say that I won't repeat that because I believe in seeing the good in people. But I will say it has given me a lesson to find my boundaries of looking at the good in people. Um, because there has to be a point where the good that they are is no longer the good that I align with. And that's okay. But I have to know when to put that boundary down before they come back to hurt more people than, than to help more people. So I would say that's probably the latest, one of the toughest challenges I've had. Um, because, you know, you just really always want to like see the good in people and like know that they're human and they they do have love in their heart, et cetera, et cetera. However, sometimes the way they do things isn't always the right way. And I have to be able to put that boundary down of saying, I believe you're good, but how you're approaching this is not quite. And I have to be able to kind of put my foot down on that. Um, so yeah, I can't say I won't repeat it because <laughs> That's kind of a part of me that I need to like be more, I don't even want to say like tougher with, um, just more of, just more cautious and mm -hmm. just more intentional. Mm -hmm. 
I have to be more intentional with the good that I see in people. Right. Because like we want to be lenient with people that are trying to heal and trying to grow, but how much space do we give them if they're repeating Mm. the same behaviors or patterns that aren't matching the words that they're saying, they're saying because actions speak louder than words. So I, I feel that where it's like, I've given you a lot of slack. I've tried to be there and support you. However, who you are in this present moment versus who you said you would be when you got here isn't the same. Mm-hmm. And now I need to put my foot down. I need to stand up for myself and have a difficult conversation because this is what what's right. And this is what, what needs to be done. And I feel like I did everything I could to support you. However, you know, we're not on the same page about this thing. So, I mean, that's, like you said, that's challenging. That's something I feel like I will also struggle with. Like how much room do we give someone before we feel like we need to step in yeah how have you navigated that in the past oh man um hmm. i think to kind of touch on what you were saying i think it's really important i look at my values um and you know i ask myself these questions do i feel like i provided them with resources and with support, did what was I hearing them? Was I trying to be there for them when they were confused? Um, and I think eventually, I just had uh, like a difficult conversation with my mom, where it's like I've, I've been thinking about this thing. I uh, have talked to people that are very close in my corner about you know what it looks like and things that I might not be considering. So I also try and get. Uh, influence or perspective outside of myself because I know I'm not considering everything just being in the seat of myself someone can share things I'm not thinking about so I think that's also important before I choose to make those decisions um and then something that Tim Ferriss said that continues to stick with me and will likely stick with me uh, as long as I live is that uh, you can just determine someone's um, success or excellence by their willingness to have difficult conversations so I think it's choosing to be uncomfortable within a relationship and rather than tell a, a comfortable lie, talk about um, the hard truths. And, you know, from there, is this the first time I'm talking to them about this? Like, if so, w- what does a small step of change look like? And then over time, am I seeing that? And if, you know, you co- if I'm coming back to the same conversation, saying the same things, then you know, I got to move on from wanting to help them heal and sounding like a broken record and to create space and say, I'm, I'm here for you. I want to see you grow. However, I can't, I can't continue to have um, the same conversations with you about these things. Okay. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, but like you said, it's, it doesn't get easy. And I also, I feel like I'm always looking for the good in people. I think very, very few people are innately evil. Um, I think there's a, most people are usually good, um, but good is a, a subjective term. So yeah. the last question I have for you is what advice would you give or have you given to friends who reach out about the challenges they're facing with their mental health? Mm. I always ask, what do you feel? What is it that you need right now? Or what kind of support are you looking for? Um, 
And the advice that I always give when friends or family or people I care about reach out to me, like, like I want to look for a therapist, but I don't really know what to do. Uh, my biggest reminder to them is know that it's okay if the first therapist doesn't work. Mm. Um, finding a good therapeutic relationship is like any other relationship. Um, you have to find the right one. And just because that one person didn't work doesn't mean that the next one won't work or the next one or the next one. And that's kind of kind of have to try multiple to know what you are comfortable with um and I think a lot of times people forget that and they forget that they also get to kind of interview the therapist um Mm -hmm. and that like they get to decide if this is the right person for them to really express themselves to so that is the advice that I usually give is that they have power in that relationship and that it may not always work the first, second or third time around, but don't give up on it. Um, mm. They're worthy of finding a good therapist. They're worthy of the mental health resources or receiving the mental health resources that they need and that I would be there to help support them and help them find these resources. Kind of like dating for your mental health and for your well-being like like you're not you're likely not going to marry the first person you go on a date with like it's going to take time you have to like Mm -hmm. do I feel comfortable around them can I be honest do I feel like they're they're supporting me and giving good guidance and like you said it's I hear that so often from people I talk to like well the first time I went to therapy I really didn't connect with them so I really haven't tried it's like that's okay like you tried you you know that you want support or that type of guidance so give it a shot again like try someone new um Mm-hmm. eventually you'll find someone that feels right and fits right and helps you grow and meets you where you are um i think that's really exactly. great advice so galki thank you for being on the show um that's for it. being honest and vulnerable and just sharing yourself here on this platform i, I really appreciate it thank you for having me i as i said before i'm really grateful to be in space with you and we can learn and grow with each other. Absolutely. Well, thank you um, to the small community for listening. I appreciate every one of you. And until next time, ciao for now. And one more thing before you go. This podcast is produced by the team over at the dojo, along with pre-production guidance from select family and friends. I want to make this the best podcast you listen to, and I want to get your feedback to help me do just that. If you have comments, ideas, or guests for future shows, topics to explore, or just feedback in general, you can email me at christian at christianscorner.org or find me on Twitter at Chris Alfaro 1017. You can learn more about the show and find past episodes at christianscorner.org slash podcasts. And if you found this valuable, feel free to share it with those you love, learn from, or grow with. You can also help by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. 
I hope our conversation today lets you think differently now and into the future. Until next time.